We're uh, towards the tail end of a series called Uniquely Made, where we are looking at different biblical characters and unpacking them and, and seeing how God might want to use them to reveal some things in us and to challenge us to be more like himself. We're also kind of coupling this with uh, the Enneagram, which is just a personality typing system. It's just a tool to help us kind of understand how it is that God made us and our creative and communications team told us this week that you guys have been on our website like crazy. In fact, purposechurch.com slash tools where you can find tests and resources and all of our sermons has become like our number one visited page on our website. And so if you haven't taken the test yet, please, I would encourage you to go and do that to continue to follow along in this series. Today, I want to talk about one of the most significant leaders in the book of Acts that oftentimes doesn't get mentioned. The book of Acts is one of the uh, books in the New Testament, and it's specifically written to tell the historical story of how did this group of Jesus followers become so influential and so widespread throughout the world? How did the message of Jesus go beyond Jesus' death and his resurrection? That's what the book of Acts tells the story of, and, and there's a guy in there, he goes by the name Barnabas, but what's interesting about Barnabas is he actually, that wasn't his given name, that he was given the name Joseph, and only two verses in the book of Acts say the word Joseph, referencing him, and over 30 verses use his name, his nickname, that is Barnabas. I want to show you in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it begins like this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So it's describing this guy, Joseph, who when the apostles interacted with him, just recognized there's something different about this guy, that he is an encourager. And if you think about the word encouragement, it's a really interesting word because it literally means to give the gift of courage, to, to give the gift of courage to someone that they might step into the purposes and the plans that God God has for them. Scripture says that we are called to encourage one another, to give each other courage daily. And what I love about Barnabas right here is we quickly learn that everybody saw him as this kind of person. Let, let me just pause here for a second and ask you a question. If your friends or your roommates or your spouse or your kids were to give you a nickname based on the role that you play in their lives, what would that nickname be? Would it be angry? Would it be yeller? Would it be frustrated? Would it be distant? Would it be encourager? Would it be believer? Would it be supporter? What would the nickname be that your friends, those who know you closest, would give you? You see, the, the gift of encouragement Speaking positively is one of the traits of sevens, which is what we're going to talk about today. Sevens are known as the enthusiasts. And I just want to come out the gate and say, the preacher speaking to you today, I am a seven through and through. Um, in fact, I tell people oftentimes, I'm a seven wing seven. Like, it just doesn't get more seven. That's just how I feel as a person. And we're going to see there's some strengths to sevens, but there's also some challenges. There's some unique downsides to sevens. And, and my hope and desire is today that whether you are a 
seven as we're going to describe a seven, or you know somebody who's a seven, that you will be encouraged and you will be challenged to better understand how God created you and how best to love those around you. Let me read a quick introduction so that we might get assimilated and connected with what a seven is. It reads like this. Sevens approach life with curiosity and optimism, spontaneity, and a sense of adventure. Like kids in a candy store who look at the world in a wide-eyed, rapt anticipation of all the good things they are about to experience. They are playful, high-spirited, and practical. They can also misapply their many talents, becoming overextended, scattered, and undisciplined. They constantly seek new and exciting experiences, but can become distracted and exhausted by staying on the go. They typically have problems with impatience and impulsiveness. At their best, they focus their talents on worthwhile goals, becoming appreciative, joyous, encouraging of others, and satisfied. Now, every seven, every seven has a core fear that they feel deep inside. Their core fear is this, being deprived and in pain, being deprived and in pain. I texted a friend this week who is also a seven, and I said, would you share with me just from your heart, like, how you respond to this core fear? And this was the response that my friend sent me. The phrase, no pain, no gain, needs to be changed to no pain, all gain, okay? I love that. I, I so deeply resonate with that. In fact, many of your students, I serve here as our high school pastor, and, and every winter and summer camp, whenever we go to camp with your students, I'll inevitably have a few of them that will say, Eric, let's go paintballing. And I'm like, I'd rather die. Like, I, I'm like, paintballing? Really? Go paint? I mean, that's just all pain. Why in the world would I want to do that? Well, not only do sevens have a core fear, but they have a basic desire to be satisfied and content, to have their needs fulfilled, to be satisfied and content. And they hate when people put limits on them. I texted another friend this week and I said, hey, share with me a little bit of your kind of sevenness. And, and, and he's a married man and, and he, he related a text back to me in relationship to him and how his wife interact. And I just absolutely love this. I to share this with you. This is what he wrote. He said, my wife will tell you how much I hate to know that there is even the slightest hint of a limit on anything. Like if we are having people over and she tells me, and, and uh, my wife, I mean, this is our, our relationship mirrored, it feels like. She says, like if we are having people over and she tells me that we should try and wrap it up in a timely manner, I get all bent out of shape. I hate having a limit when things are fun, right? That is a seven. A seven does not live in the world of time frames. They live in the world of fun. They live in the world of joy. They live in the world of experiences. Now, a seven, as, as we find, as we discover that Barnabas, I, I believe he was a seven. I mean, he was such a believer in people, as we're going to see. He, he was such an encourager. And I want to show you in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 to 27. Acts chapter 9, 26 to 27, it says, 
When Paul, it's talking about Paul, Saul, Paul, Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. I mean, Saul, Paul had this reputation of torturing Christians, of being against the church. And so as soon as Paul is converted and begins to follow Jesus, everyone is skeptical except our boy Barnabas. But Barnabas... But Barnabas took him and brought Paul to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. See, Barnabas is somebody who believes in the impossible. He sees what is potential here. He, he looks at Paul, Saul, and he says, man, here's somebody who, I, I just believe that God is working in his life. You see, that is a classic seven. When, when sevens are healthy, this phrase might, they might identify. When I am doing well, I speak in a fun, lively, lighthearted, upbeat, optimistic, and joyful way. I also take the time to listen to and encourage others without taking over. Sevens have this, this eternal optimism about them. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was taking the trash out. And as I was taking out the trash, it was a rather full night. I had been uh, at work till about 10 or so having meetings. And I, I get home and, and the trash can is also overflowing. And I begin to pull the trash out to the curb. And all of a sudden, I feel this like furry thing over my hand, okay? And, uh, and I, I back out. I, fr- I freak out. I, I, I don't know what that is. I was thinking, okay, maybe it was a mop or something. I don't know. And so I grab the trash can again and begin to pull it. And all of a sudden, I see a rat come come out from the trash can. I didn't grow up with these kind of things. So I saw a rat come out of the trash can and, and for like a split second, we made eye contact and, and I felt like he said, I'm going to kill you. Like that's what I thought he said. And, I, I, and he ran away and I, just, I freaked out, you guys. I freaked out. I ran upstairs to Sarah. My heart was beating. I said, Sarah, put your hand on my chest. Like, and it's not beating for you. Like it's not about you right now. This, this is the rat. And, and so I kind of told her the story. And then next Tuesday night when it was trash, I got home late as well. And, and I, I walked over the trash can, a little skeptical. I was kind of like poking it with this, like, we have like this giant rod. I don't know what it is, but I was poking it and, and nothing's happened. I get a little bit closer and I poke it again. And all of a sudden the same rat, right? He looks up, but this time, this time, the first time the rat ran away, this time he gets out of the trash can and starts running towards me, right? And I'm picturing like a zombie movie, like it's about to take over me, right? And he runs past me, same thing, like I run up to Sarah, I'm panicked, I'm like, we have to move, like this city has rats, we have to move. And I remember thinking, literally, I remember thinking, as all this was going on, I was freaking out. I was like, I don't know how to get the trash out here. Um, I was like, I need to call a neighbor. Like, I don't know what to do. But I remember thinking, God's going to use this story. Like, God's going to use this. And here we are today. And, and I, was, I, I have this just kind of this, this eternal optimism about me that sometimes, though, sometimes makes it difficult. It makes it difficult to see some of the more challenging, painful aspects of life. You see, when, when, when sevens are healthy, they're, they're investigators. They're, they're exploring. They have this, this curiosity about them. But when they are unhealthy, when they are unhealthy, they can be scattered. They can keep attention on themselves by telling long and grand stories. Oops. They can, uh, 
reframe and avoid anything pessimistic or too deep. You know, I want to be really honest with you guys. At a professional level, I've gotten really good at being able to draw people out and be empathetic with people. But when it comes to the relationships that are closest to me, it can be really, really challenging for me to go to those depths. That, that when Sarah and I are having deeper conversations, it, it's, it's hard for me. I, I want to go there and I, I, I want to be able to be vulnerable and I, I, I want to be able to fully sit in and absorb the painful things of life, but it's difficult for me. You know, I, I live by this motto. I, I read this quote. It says, start living today the stories you want to tell on your 83rd birthday. Now, parents, I, I, I tell your students all the time, do well in school, read and stuff like that. What they don't know is I just read a lot of Twitter. And so I actually read this quote on Twitter, um, and, and I remember reading it. I remember reading it and thinking, yes, like that's the kind of life I want to live. But I've discovered that as a seven, in order to get there, I have to be willing to go to the painful places. I have to be willing to be challenged. I want to show you another verse in Acts chapter 11, verse 22 to 24. It says, news of the good things that God had been doing reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, I imagine there were lots of apostles and disciples who were gathered and they're going, ah, a long journey. I'm not sure I'm up for that. But they knew that Barnabas was a seven. They knew that he'd be down for anything. I was just talking with Nicole a minute ago, who's a seven. She's one of our high school leaders uh, in HSM. And she said she kind of lives by the phrase that whenever somebody comes to her and says, hey, should we? She doesn't even let them finish. She goes, yes, let's do it. Like whatever it is, yes, let's do it. That, that's Barnabas right here. That he's willing to go to Antioch and then check out what happens. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. You see, here's a real, really healthy example of a seven where he, he's willing to go on those adventures and see what God is doing, take it all in, but then like a classic seven, he just responds. He, he just responds and says, God is good. God is doing something amazing here. One of the challenges of being a seven at times is you can become overly critical. You can become um, perfectionistic when you're really stressed. And I've experienced this with just uh, last week, I sat down with my wife, Sarah, and our oldest son, Charlie, and I said, I need to apologize to you guys because I I've just been overly critical and, and, and I've been overly perfectionistic with you and, and that hasn't been good. And, and oftentimes ones have to do that. But ones like those serious conversations or, or the important logistical conversations of life to be couched in some fun and some joy. I want to show you a photo recently. This was um, Sarah and I. The kids had gone to bed and, and on Instagram, Sarah said, I remember before this, she said, Eric, I have like 10 logistical things we need to talk about, which just sounds like death, right? And she's like, I'm like, logistical, those are no fun. Like, where's the laughter in that? And so we came up with this idea. We said, we're going to play checkers while having logistical conversations. So this is what we do. This is how a, a seven and a one get through logistical conversations. And, and so if you, if you are in this place and, and you know a one, you, you have someone in your life who you know that's a one, let me give you a few encouragements of how to care for them. Number one, offer companionship and affection and freedom. Invite them to kind of write the story of what you guys will be doing together. Create, create an atmosphere where there's fun and there's joy. Number two, 
engage with them in, in stimulating conversation and laughter. Drawing them out through that can be an incredible means, an incredible way of getting to the deeper places of their heart. Number three, remind us to savor the moment instead of looking, afo- looking forward to the next exciting event. Sometimes I'll be at a lunch, and it'll be a really good lunch, and I'll know that dinner tonight is gonna be even more amazing, right? And as I talk about food, you're like, Eric, how do you keep that body type? It's a miracle, the doctor says. So I will be at lunch and I will be thinking already about the dinner we're going to share. I'll be thinking about the next thing that's going on. And one of the best things that people can do for me is help focus me and even challenge me in that. Something I find myself praying often as a seven is this, Lord, help me to be present. Lord, help me to be present. Help me to be present. I wish I was somebody who could live in that present, but that's a prayer, that's an honest confession that I have to make before God all of the time. Lord, help me to be present. Well, what can we learn from a seven? In Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to 39, it says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and to see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And so Paul, being that kind of classic one, says, man, you've crossed me, John Mark. There's no way you're continuing with us. But Barnabas, Barnabas was an advocate for him. You see, two things that that Barnabas teaches us here. Number one is this. That we as believers, we as followers of Christ, we've got to treat people the way God has treated us. We've got to be people who show undeserved grace as ones who have been shown undeserved grace. And number two, Barnabas here reminds us that we can always believe and hope that God is not done with people yet. That God is not done with us yet. That no matter what diagnosis has come your way, no matter what struggle you're facing, no matter how heavy the weight of financial burden or, or this next season of life, whatever fear and terror you're experiencing, that because we have God, because we are in a relationship with God, because God wins in the end, because God is working in our lives, we can trust him that we can wake up in the morning, that we can take steps forward knowing, knowing and believing that our best days are ahead of us as we move closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And so friends, if you, if you are a seven, may you choose to go deep with that. May, may, may you choose to be the kind of person that says, I'm gonna enjoy all that life has to offer, but I'm gonna be present with those around me. And if you know a seven, if you know a seven, may you be the kind of person who looks at them and enjoys and celebrates all the parts of them, all the joyful parts of them that God has made, and may you help draw them out. I absolutely love the eights of Purpose Church, the challenger or the protective challenger. The powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, protective, and can be confrontational. Uh, Pastor Lisa, a few weeks ago, because she knew I uh, was going to do type 8, she sent me this picture, a type 8 saying, I am smiling, I am smiling. That's a type 8 smile right there. Now, by the way, um, I have just loved sharing uh, 
teaching this series with two of the best young communicators that I know. Uh, Pastor Lisa just flew in last night from speaking at a conference in New Mexico, and Pastor Eric uh, takes off right after church uh, today to speak at Hume uh, for the week. And I just uh, praise God for these two remarkable young leaders. Uh, Lisa's a three and Eric's a seven. Let's get back to the eights. Eights are a straightforward, even an aggressive leader who cares uh, intensely about uh, justice. Their core fears are being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, and left at the mercy of injustice. Their basic desire is fighting for the right things. Teddy Roosevelt once said, aggressive fighting for the right is the noblest sport that the world affords. So what's it like to be an eight? See if any of these um, resonate uh, with you. What it's like to be an eight and see if, maybe you're not completely an eight, but maybe it's partially what you are. It's your second or it's your third one. Uh, Here are 20 character traits of an eight. I've been told that I'm too blunt and aggressive. Doing things halfway is not my spiritual gift. I enjoy a good verbal skirmish just to see what others are made of. Uh, In relationships that matter to me, I insist on being honest about conflicts and staying in the fight until things are worked out. Number five, it's hard for me to trust people. Justice is worth fighting for. I can sniff out other people's weaknesses the first time I meet them. Uh, Saying no isn't a problem for me. Uh, I welcome opposition. Bring it. Number 10, I make decisions fast and from the gut. I don't like it when people beat around the bush. I'm wary of people. I'm wary of people who are super nice. When I walk into a room, I know immediately who has the most power. I don't have much respect for people who don't stand up for themselves. One of my mottos is, a good offense is better than a good defense. Number 16, don't mess with the people I love. 17, I know I'm respected, but sometimes I want to be loved. I have no problem confronting a bully. Number 19, if God wanted people to wear their hearts on their sleeve, he would have put it there. Uh, Number 20, under my tough exterior is a tender, loving heart. So how many of you uh, think that you might partially at least be an eight? Let me see. Okay, I'm looking around. All right. Let me see who I don't want to offend. Okay, here here we go. Got to look around. How many of you think you might know an eight? Let me see your hands. All right. Very, very, very good. At the 830 service, um, I saw Starla Anderson sitting next to her husband, Jason, who's the uh, district attorney, the top prosecutor for San Bernardino County, uh, number one of the five biggest law firms uh, in, in the entire nation, if not the world, and she's elbowing him and waving her hand on that one. So you know an eight, either that or uh, you, uh, you are an eight. Uh, Juliet Hidalgo, here's she uh, with her family. Uh, Peter is uh, from Ecuador, and here they are as a family in Ecuador. And uh, Juliet uh, wrote me uh, just a, a beautiful email about what it means uh, to be an eight. It's called Enneagram Eight, Choosing My Battles and Everyday Struggle to Not Get Ahead of God. At church, when Glenn quickly described the Enneagram Eight type, 
I had all my kids staring and pointing at me. Has some of that been going on here the last few weeks? Uh, once they heard how this type interacts with the world, they knew their mom fit the bill. I also saw myself clearly in the description. I ooze eight. However, knowing and understanding how to interact with the world can be a challenge. The biggest struggle I find with my type is learning the art of letting it go or learning to choose my battles. In other words, a typical eight has to continually put the brakes on their natural tendency of wanting to solve all that ails the world. All this can come with a comfortable ability to confront a situation. Now, confrontation can be truly helpful, but I know it has the power to go over like a lead balloon. I want change, but my approach can be all wrong. Trust me, my words have caused enough damage with people and relationships that I know their power, similar to sparks of fire flying around during Santa Ana wind conditions. If I believe I should say something, I ask God if I should, when and how it should be done. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. I trust he will set up the when. I'm responsible for my words. Sometimes God wants me to say something. Sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes God wants me to say nothing. Trust me, I struggle with this one. But I know if I truly love people, sometimes I achieve more with my prayers than my words. Yes, I have bite marks on my tongue. Here's what God and others have taught me over the years, and this is so good. Truth without love is disabling. Love without truth is enabling. Now, that's really good. I'm going to repeat that. Truth without love is disabling. Love without truth is enabling. I've definitely been the one to disable someone. I know this is not God-honoring, nor really helpful to anyone or the situation. I have to apologize for my harsh words. I know God has created me to speak the truth, but I also know that he has shown me over and over again that I cannot do it without him. I need the Holy Spirit's continual guidance to take my natural tendency and infuse Jesus in the mix. He has called us to be tenacious and fierce, yet loving and grace-giving. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? What a great writer and what a great description of being an eight. How I typically communicate. When eights are healthy, I am a generous and loyal friend. I'm honest, assertive, and have a confident presence. I stand up for and protect those I care deeply for, the weak and those at the mercy of injustice. So let's look at a healthy uh, eight in Scripture, a healthy John the Baptist. Uh, Luke chapter 3, Luke is one of the biographers of the life of Jesus. And, and he wrote this story about John the Baptist who came just before Jesus to kind of announce the way. And uh, here's the, the kind of the message of, of justice and truth um, that, uh, that John preached before Jesus came to kind of set things up for Jesus. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. All right, that's an eight talking right there. Next week we're going to look at the nine, the peacemaker. Uh, that, this is not a peacemaker, this is an eight. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts 
should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, uh, when we come to verse 19, we see that John had an opportunity to speak truth to power and to stand up to Herod, who was the notorious king at that time. And, and I'm telling you, when I saw the situation, uh, you know, Herod had stolen his brother's wife from him. So uh, Herod the king, by force of power, had taken the wife of his brother and made her his wife. But as a three, as an achiever, I would have left that one alone. I would have said, you know what, it doesn't do anybody any good. I, I can't accomplish my purposes. I haven't accomplished what I'm called to do if I'm stuck in prison or if I'm tr in trouble in some way. So I'm going to let that one slide, but not an eight. Uh, John the Baptist was an eight. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. As a three, I would say, oh man, okay, a lot of good that did you. Now you can't do the stuff you're supposed to do. But to an eight, he's like, I don't care. I stood up for the right. I did the right thing, and that, that's all that matters. Who cares about the consequences? Uh, Kimberly and I were in Ontario um, a couple of weeks ago, and we were having ice cream at, a, at, an, at an ice cream cone in an ice cream store, and we're sitting at a table outside of the store, and we look across the parking lot, and here's a guy, and he's, he's obviously high on drugs. And, and, and so he was breaking in. looked like he was breaking into this car. So Kimberly said, we should call the police. Because uh, Kimberly you know, has some eight in her. She's mainly a two, but she's her secondary one. Mainly a two, but her secondary one uh, is an eight. And so she said, we should get involved. We should call the police. And I'm like... As a three, I'm like, no, that they might, he might see us and get annoyed with us or something like that. That might, that might hinder what I need to achieve after this ice cream cone is done. Um, so, so she called the police. And, um, uh, and, and, and so I was embarrassed because I was such a wuss in the presence of my wife. And so I said, I'm going to go over and see if I can kind of scare him off. So I go over to the guy and I say, can I help you? Like, can I help you break into the car? You know, um, I'll smash the back window, you snatch the purse, and, and you go. And he said to me, mind your blankety-blank business. So I went back to Kimberly and I said, he said, mind your blankety-blank business. So I think we should heed his advice. I think we should mind our own blankety-blank business. Well, the police came and they arrested him, not because of a three, but because of, a, but because of an eight. Now, when I'm not doing well, I can be quick to anger, demanding, insensitive, challenging, too assertive and blunt, and refusing to see how I'm hurting others. So now we come to an unhealthy Miriam. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me that I have the healthy guy and the unhealthy girl. Um, because remember, Pastor Lisa did the exact opposite. This is like Gift of the Magi. Last week, she had the healthy Ruth and the unhealthy uh, Peter. So I'm, I'm just uh, reversing things. And as a matter of fact, with, with Miriam, she's kind of like her brother Moses. So they were all siblings. Aaron, Moses, and Miriam were all brother and sister, uh, same family. And, and she's kind of like Moses, who when we talked about the three, remember I talked about how Moses was a healthy three for most of his life. 
but he had a bad moment at the beginning of his life when he murdered the Egyptian uh, slave owner who was, who was abusing one of the slaves, the Israelites. And then he had a, a falter later in his life when he lost his, his temper. And so he, for most of his life, he was a healthy three, but he kind of messed up towards the end. Well, Miriam, his sister, is kind of the same way. Uh, she is totally a healthy eight. I mean, think about it. She's the one that saved her brother's life. There would be no Moses if it wasn't for Miriam. She's the one, Miriam's the one, that wrote this first praise song. You know the praise songs we love? Do you know the first praise song in all of history was written by Miriam? It's in Exodus chapter 15. It's called the Song of Miriam. She, she, was, she was there before Hill Songs, and Chris Tomlin came along, uh, was the song of Miriam. Uh, she was the one that Micah talks about. In Micah chapter 6, verse 4, he says the three leaders of Israel were Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. And he, he elevated Moses somewhat, but he said Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, those were the three leaders of Israel. That's what it says, the, the prophet Micah, in Micah 6, verse 4. So she was, for most of her life, was a, was a very, very healthy eight. Uh, but here she has a bad moment in Numbers chapter 12. And the reason we believe Miriam was the leader in this is for three reasons. First of all, the Hebrew uh, verb here is a feminist, uh, feminine singular verb. Feminine singular verb. Uh, she's mentioned first, and she's the one that has the greater punishment at the end of the story. So we think she took the lead in this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Let's hold this there for just a moment. Because of his Cushite wife, because he had married a Cushite. Just a little bit of a sidebar. It has nothing to do with the message. But it, this is an interesting thing. This is the only time in the Bible where interracial marriage is talked about. Now, interfaith marriage is talked about all the time. But interracial marriage this is the only time that we have it. And it's interesting that the persons who condemn it are the ones that are condemned by God. The ones that get in trouble are the ones that criticize. The only time we see interracial marriage talked about in the Bible, and the only time it's mentioned, uh, the people that are critical of it are the ones that get in trouble uh, with God. But now, verse 2, we see what's really going on. It, 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 racism is kind of at the surface of it, but beneath the surface is good old-fashioned sibling rivalry. And it's funny, you can have sibling rivalry as adult siblings every bit as much as you could as little kids, right? And so we see that even as adults. Has the Lord, this is brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord uh, heard this. Okay, uh, let's wrap up. Practical next steps. Uh, here are practical next steps for, for the eights uh, among us. Each morning, think of one simple way you can relinquish control that day. Number two, picture yourself handing a specific challenge, desire, or relationship over to the Lord, giving him full authority over your life. Number three, ask God to give you the self-control to think and feel before you act, to help you practice moderation and to trust others uh, to lead when necessary. And, and now um, let's look at uh, uh, what leads to conflict with an eight. Seeing any kind of injustice when others do not deal with issues directly or assertively, others not taking responsibility for their own behavior or mistakes, others misunderstanding my blunt style of communication for being mean or harsh, others not being completely honest or straightforward in their communication, being blindsided or betrayed. Okay, how can we show um, eight's love? If there's an eight in your life, how can you show them love? Stand up for yourself and for me. 
Be confident, strong, and direct. Notice that I am tender, and uh, that I am tender and have a vulnerable side behind my strong exterior. Acknowledge the contributions that I make, but don't flatter me. I often speak in a direct and assertive way. Please don't automatically assume it is a personal attack against you. And then what can we learn uh, from the eights within our church family, within our own families, within our friendships at work uh, here at Purpose Church? We, here's what we can learn um, uh, from the eights. And, you know, let's go ahead and have the praise team uh, come up right now. Praise team, come up for the closing song. Here's what we can learn from the eights among us. That we should have the courage to stand for Christ, share Christ, confront sin, fight for injustice. Oh, fight for justice. That's what that guy was telling me about at the Ada Carey service. Okay, fight against injustice, all right? Tomiko, I am so sorry. Our pastor of justice on the front row. Somebody said something to me after 8.30 and it went right over. I, I couldn't figure out what they were talking about. That's what they were talking about. We will not fight for injustice, all right? <laughs> That's really, I, I think somebody, somebody comes up and says something to you, and you're like, what? Uh, no, now I get it, okay. What? Oh, he just fixed it on the spot. Let's hear it for our media team. Woo, you guys are amazing. Fight for justice and defend the truth. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Woo, all right, that's, that's amazing.